Podcasts! Podcasts! I can't find my podcasts! Well, what phone do you have? It's an Android device! Well, every Android user I know uses the Podcast Republic app. All you do is make your favorite shows your favorites, and they get downloaded straight to your phone, faster than 88 miles per hour, and it's free! It sounds much easier than chasing psychotic killers! I'll download the Podcast Republic app on my Android phone straight away! The Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store! When the mega powers explode! I'm talking about the 8880s. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am one half of the mega podcasting powers, Trip Lano. With me, as always, is a man who was very excited about the return of warrior queen Laurie Strode, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno, it, I geeked the f out to see her back in like her in her that guy from Tremors like armory hole in her basement. I was so here for it. And joining us uh, to make this a triple threat is the editor of Fangoria magazine, Phil Nobile Jr. Hey, gentlemen, how are you? Doing super great. great. Thanks. thanks for joining us. You're, you're dissecting the '80s. Do you dissect all of the '80s, or do you just dissect the horror of the '80s? Uh, we we do movies mostly, uh, for but we run all over the gamut. Every October we do our uh, spooktacular, which I, I I know some people really hate the word, but it's dumb I on purpose for us. Love the word spooktacular, like it's, <laughs> one, it's one of my favorites. Like I get, I will I will sometimes catch myself from saying spooktacular instead of spectacular for all kinds of different things. That's where <laughs> that's where the word becomes fun is when you're just using it inappropriately. Yeah, yeah, you're in the middle of something. Just dropping spooktacular into a non-scary situation. Exactly. Yeah. And then people are like, you're a total weirdo. Nice. Like Radio City Music Hall Christmas spooktacular. <laughs> <laughs> Back to school spooktacular. Yeah, yeah. I like New that Year, one. I New like Year's spooktacular. One. You could you know, yeah. make it a perennial. I did for a while throw like a Halloween-oriented Christmas party where I made people dress up with like varying themes that was kind of fun for a couple of years. So I, I, I can get behind this, the spread. So I guess, I guess we'll start with the easiest question. What in theater at home, no matter where, what was the first Halloween movie that you saw? Like in the Halloween franchise? Me personally, uh, it was, it was the first Halloween. It was probably at home. Okay. But okay. I, have weird, I have a weird history with Halloween because so um, when Halloween came out, I was, probably seven years old and my brother was a teenager so my brother would go see all these movies and then he would tell us the plots of these movies as bedtime stories so my first oh man oh that's awesome my first ingestion of halloween was as a bedtime story and it scared the piss out of me uh and i don't know that the movie could even live up to the the thing in my mind that happened when i was you know a kid but uh, I can't I can't sit down and remember the first time I saw Halloween. It was just always there to me. Uh, but I okay. do know I do know that it was a it was literally a bedtime scary story before it was a movie in my mind. That's awesome. So did I he there like other movies? Are there like other ones that you got to like build in your mind before you saw them that you remember? Anything stick out? Gosh, I'm trying to remember. But I, I think uh, that was a big one. I think uh, I think Audrey Rose might have been one. Like a ghost story okay, kind of okay. thing, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, good That's stuff. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it started something. I think horror always has like not always, but I think horror often comes like handed down from an older uh, sibling. I always joke that sort of the origin of this podcast is I was babysitting Andrew and I was probably like 12 or 13, which makes him about seven or eight. And uh, it was a rainy day and it was like, oh, I'm going to put on Night of the Living Dead. Let's watch this. It was and- a snowy day. That was the word. It was oh, like, is that what it was? Okay. It was snowy because it was just like everything was quiet and like kind of black and white outside. And so we watched uh, <laughs> Living Dead. Yep, yep. I, I remember yeah. my. I, I was fifth of seven kids, so I got dragged to whatever okay. majority yeah. rule was. So I, I saw The Exorcist when I was four. Oh and, wow! Uh, Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, it was great. And uh, and you know, I saw American Werewolf in London on my eleventh birthday, and I started crying and had to leave. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing I saw too early. Uh, eventually, I, I kind of got into the craft of, of uh, what the guys were doing. I think that was sort of my my shield from being afraid of it. I recognized that it was artists uh, making the stuff, and that sort of helped. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah. you have like the the perfect list of uh, you know bona fides to be the editor of the magazine. You're the editor of like that feels like if if there was a resume <laughs> to be built for someone to do that, it would be you starting at age like eight. It sounds like yeah. There's there's a narrative there. I think, and uh, and I started by. <laughs> Started buying Fangoria when I was like thirteen or twelve, and uh, and you know it was it was a way to learn about these things that terrified me to save me from being terrified, but it also gave me a, a passion for learning about filmmaking, and, and that's what led to me getting to film in general and writing about film, and eventually circling back to Fangoria, which is just a, a surreal uh, trip for sure. Yeah, that's that's that's, awesome. that's really amazing. Yeah. Uh, to answer the question I asked, I my first Halloween movie that I ever saw was Halloween Resurrection, which is like generally not where you Oof. would want anyone to start anything. Yeah, no. that was bad. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad start for you. Second worst of the original lineup, we think. Oh gosh, we're gonna rank them because I don't know. No, I uh, mean I, was there, I think that would be the second worst. After... I was told there'd be no math, Andrew. you must answer in uh at least five sentences it is we can can try to do this are we are we ruling out the zombie films out of this ranking are we talking original franchise the the original lineup i feel like resurrection is the least good second least because season of the witch is there and you can't like that can't not be the worst. I feel like if you're going to rank them, you have to throw season of the witch out of the pile. Like it just doesn't like, it doesn't, it doesn't jive with any of them even to be ranked. I'll, I'll rank it if forced to, but, uh, I think, <laughs> gosh, I, I don't have a lot of love for four five and six. I got to tell you. No, nobody does. So, so there might even be a camp value to resurrection that, that does not happen with four five or six. But if you're if you're doing a podcast where you're dissecting the Halloween sequels, I'm going to put a bug in your ear. There's a writer named Anya Stanley. You should, uh-huh. reach, okay. you should reach out to her. She has a strong passion for that cult of thorn subplot. And uh, oh, okay. Uh, and I'll tell you that she actually wrote about it in the New Fangoria uh, quite uh, quite profusely. She's she, she's the she's the Halloween sequel apologist, and you need to talk to her for uh, your your sequel. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, All right. I I stayed up until no I didn't stay up I set an alarm to wake up at two o'clock in the morning back when AMC used to do the horror fest thing I don't yeah, know I was, guess they that still was my do first them, introduction but... to the movie Halloween actually was uh, Fear Fest on AMC Oh is that really the first way you saw it Yeah the first one 
Wow. I did not know that. Okay. I can't believe I didn't show it to you. Um, I, I, I set an alarm to wake up at two o'clock in the morning because the only Halloween movie I'd never seen was Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. I'd wow. seen the rest of them. And I was like, I, I got to complete the set. So I, I literally set an alarm in college and woke up at like two in the morning and like, you know, had, you know, made myself a little snack and everything and just like sat down and watched Paul Rudd run around, run away from a murder. Not a great way to spend two hours, no. but, you know, away. It's true. It's a way to spin. Uh, that's fair. Mathematically, that's correct. <laughs> so uh, have you uh, seen, it sounds like you probably saw some of these in theaters. Like I'm curious about like hearing any Halloween at the time of release in theaters. Cause I have only ever seen them in repertory screenings. Yeah. Not, a, not, not so many great ones. I, I, uh, you know, I, if I didn't get dragged to them, I didn't go see them as a kid. But so by the time I got to be a teenager, I saw Halloween four in the theater and I, I remember hating it. Um, <laughs> and I saw H2O in theaters. Okay. And then I saw Rob Zombie's first one in theaters, but that's, that's it for the theatrical viewings. I mean, I've seen, I've seen okay. Halloween like on the big screen since then, but I've not, yeah, not, yeah. Not, not a time of release, obviously. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've seen it in repertory, which is fun, like going with a crowd that's like really excited to be watching this, which I, I dig. But yeah, I um, obviously have not been around. It was not the big enough horror fan to go, you know, schlepping in for Halloween Resurrection, which was probably the only one I probably could have seen. Yeah, right. Um, uh, go ahead, Andrew. I was just saying I agree with that sentence of the because I'm, I'm looking at the, like the release dates and I was 10 when Resurrection came out. And so that would have been like the only one. But I, I don't think I had watched the first one yet at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it at a party. Someone put it on and it was like, well, this is dumb and bad, but also kind of fun. And then it made me curious to go see the, the first one. And I ended up liking it so much that the following day I got the same group of friends together. I was like, you need to see the good version of this because it's so scary. And we watched it. And did, did the first one have that effect on you? Indeed. Like when you saw it? it- oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I watched it alone in my parents' basement on like probably a four by three television, and even in that, so they like with the audio coming through the crackly speaker that it had, and even then, it was just like totally sucked in and totally mesmerized by it. That's good to hear. It's it's, it's uh, I hear a lot of uh, uh, heathens saying that the, that the original is tame and and dull and it doesn't work on them, and to me, it's uh it's still just a, a beautifully crafted movie. And when I think about the sequels and I think why I don't like them, it's, it's probably because of the crew and, and uh, Dean Cundy, which he does one, two and three, which makes me have an affinity for three that I don't have for four five, six, seven, et cetera. Um, they just had a look to them and a feel to them that just works on me still. Yeah, I think if you throw it on, you immediately get uh, Haddonfield in a way that translates to like, you know what the small town feel is and it comes across in a very vibrant alive way which is totally down to the way he shoots yeah, them. it, it mm-hmm. feels everything Absolutely. feels real i always say this movie is jaws but out of the water yeah 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 we've talked about that a lot like in terms of a bad guy michael and jaws well bruce the shark i guess have like a very similar they just eat and sleep and make little sharks except it's like i guess he just doesn't sleep and stab teenagers is probably what you'd swap in there but it's very much like there's nothing you can do. It's an unending force of nature that's just never going to stop going forward. Yeah, that's the beauty of it, right? There's a not to keep plugging Fangoria, but there's an article in the uh, in the first issue about uh, about that very thing about how uh, the the more you sequelize them, the 
the more you take away his power. And that's true of, I think, all of them. It's true of Leatherface. It's true of uh, Freddy Krueger. You know, they're, they're pure in their original forms. Uh, and, and the shape, which is, you know, what the cool yeah. kids call them. I call them the shape. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm very lame there. <laughs> the shape is, uh, you know, unknowable. And that's what makes it so perfect. And, and the more you add to his backstory and the more you kind of uh, try to explore that, I don't think they ever, you know, uh, improved anything with the sequels. Halloween 2 is, is atmospheric and, and fun and it's got that same cinematography and that same score. But beyond that, I don't like I, I've I was sorely disappointed in Michael and almost all of them. Yeah, I, I that was my biggest qualm with the the Rob Zombie ones because I was like I don't like I don't need to know that Michael Myers' mom was a stripper and his dad was an alcoholic who abused him. Like I that doesn't make any that doesn't like just like oh okay so it's okay that he murders babysitters that's fine now like and if it doesn't do that then what's the point of having it there? Yeah, well you know you have to give Zombie credit for at least not doing the same thing. I mean, he eventually does the same thing. I guess the last half hour of his movie is a remake of the original, but the, the, uh, the attempt was there, but it just felt it was an ill fit to the franchise to what made Halloween special. And, uh, you know, the whole time I watched it and then I think he did, did he do devil's rejects after that or before it? Before. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was before maybe, but to me, Rob Zombie was the guy who should have made chainsaw massacre. Yes. Like that feels right. That, that lived in gross rednecky, uh, just filthy family vibe was more on point for him than Halloween, which Halloween has sort of like a, a sheen of old Hollywood to it. I mean, they shot the thing in Hollywood and they had Janet Lee's daughter as the star. And it just sort of felt it had a polish to it, a professionalism to it that uh, didn't need to be deconstructed, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's a good point. And is like Haddonfield's kind of bucolic, maybe almost. And like, it's this that's sort of the horror of it is they inject this monster into a very like pleasant small town with, you know, everybody has their dried out corn stalks on the front porch and their jack o' lanterns. And then like a true monster shows up versus, yeah, that's a really, I've never heard anybody put zombie with Leatherface, but that would make so much more sense. That's, that's a, I think so. Or even the Friday the 13th reboot where he's like this backwoods killer that just, that just had the grimier feel to it. That, that was more suited to what zombie was doing. But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the Friday the 13th reboot for what it was, for what it's worth. Um, and I, I liked that they were like, okay, we're going to do Jason a little different. He's a little smarter. He's he's not just the bumbling, you know, fumbling through the forest, swinging the machete type. Mm-hmm. They made, they reimagined him as a survivalist, and it was kind of a neat wrinkle, I thought. Yeah. My only beef with it is uh, Jared Padalecki, who I like. I like Supernatural, or I don't watch it anymore, but I did. Uh, he's way too tall. So, like, when he would square off with Jason, he d- Jason looks much less menacing. <laughs> but that's, like, a very minor quibbly nitpick. Uh, where do you come down on season of the witch? I feel like this is a very polarizing question for people to talk about when they talk about Halloween. No, I, it's it's got to be talked about. My um, I wrote about season of the witch one time, and, and it, it, to me, it was a you know people say it's ahead of its time, but I I think that another problem with season of the witch is that it was one film too late. Like if they if if that was Halloween two, and we didn't ha- get into this expectation of having the shape come back. You know, Halloween would have stood perfect as one film, and then and then they would have cemented a tradition of uh, doing a new story with every one. And we could have gotten ten Halloween movies, all with a different story. And and it's a, it's just such a shame that Halloween two happened, and you know, cemented the idea that Halloween equals Michael Myers or equals The Shape, and Halloween three never had a chance. I think Halloween three is not 
hundred percent a great movie, but I, I, what it represents and what it, what the potential that it represents makes, uh, makes it a real affectionate favorite for me. I have a real soft spot for it. That's fair. Okay. All right. That's a good way to put it. I, uh, we haven't done it on the show, although we've talked about it a couple of times. I really love Tom Atkins in it. Of course. Like to the point where it was most, yeah, he's, I mean, this is spectacular. He is most of the reason why I found that remake of my bloody Valentine to be worth any five seconds of sure. your time. So it was like, I, I dig him a lot, but I, there was this like big revival. I want to say three, four years ago, maybe where everybody was like talking about it as this misunderstood little gem. Mm-hmm. And I think your point is totally valid, but as a horror movie on its own, I'm like, eh, it's like every, it's like that, not some groundbreaking treatise that somebody snuck in there. Yeah, no, it's more, it's more about the, uh, the fact that it took such a left turn and that it, and that it references the original by showing it on television is fun. And then it has that sort of invasion of the body snatchers ending where you don't know if humanity is saved or not at the end. Um, it, real throwback. It's, it's almost like a 1950s movie wearing an 80s movie skin. Okay, I can see and that. That's, sure. that's yeah, exciting in yeah. a way to me. It probably also doesn't help that I had seen like many people rip that idea off. After, you know what I mean? Like I'd sure. seen the Goosebumps variant of it and whatnot. <laughs> and then like you go back to revisit and sometimes it takes the wind out of the sails a little bit. That's fair. And it's, it got in early on that folk horror druid Stonehenge shit, which is cool. That kind of got, got real, <laughs> that stuff got real popular in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, Hereditary's got a little mm-hmm. bit of that in there. Absolutely. I don't want to make you rank all of them, but after Halloween, which I would be shocked to find out is not your favorite, do you have a like a number two, a one that slots in next as if you're going to revisit these movies, the one you pull off the shelf? Well, it would be three, but if we're going to take three out of it and we're going to just rank uh, Myers franchise, um, I'm not okay. going to I'm not going to come out with some controversial opinion that Halloween two isn't the second best because I, I think it is. It's, it's uh, the plot is not great. It's, it's a little housebound once it gets to the hospital, which, you know, a ho- hospital horror movie should be great. And there's, you know, it, I didn't get a sense of space the way I should have in that, in that thing, but it's still got the Dean Kundi photography. It's still got the Carpenter score. It's still got Donald Pleasance going, going, uh, swinging for the cheap seats with his performance. That's all great. I like that a lot. Um, it, you do t- get the sense that Jamie Lee Curtis showed up, you know, almost like a Charlton Heston and Beneath the Planet of the Apes, where Charlton Heston said, "I'll do it, but I want to die in the first scene." And they 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 negotiated having him disappear in the first scene and come back at the end and die. Uh, and you could tell it was just he was because he was there for four <laughs> days or something. And and you get that sense with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, bit. yeah. Uh, and it becomes much more of a standard slasher movie. You know, here's it lines up a bunch of new characters and, and kills them off one at a time. Uh, it's just still head and shoulders visually much more dazzling than almost any other slasher movie you could name. So based on just the, the cinema of it alone, it's a better looking slasher movie than 90% of the things. And it's a, it's a better uh, scored slasher movie than 90% of them. But it's, it's way, way, way past the first movie for me. Um, the first movie's perfect and everything that comes after diminishes. Not having seen the new one, I'll say that. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of yeah. us has seen it. Just to make sure that like, nobody's like gonna, gonna be like waiting desperately to hear us talk about it. We 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 have no, no one has seen. I it hope it's call. great. I hope it's great. I am. I will say I'm very scared that they're gonna kill Laurie Strode a third time. It, like the thing I was envisioning 
about like the perfect way to end this for me would be, and this is very stupid probably to other people, but I feel like they both die. And then at the point where the camera is like slowly moving up and you're waiting for Michael's eyes to open, like hers do instead just to like make sure he's actually dead. And then she really dies for good. And like, that's the end of everything. I know that won't be the case because like, they're definitely hoping this makes a lot of money and they can make another one. That's how Hollywood works. But I would just love it if like they both died. That, that was like closing the book, final chapter, we're done. Yeah, that would be cool. And that's in, in 1998, I'll tell you, that's what made me love H2O. Probably I'll put it third after Halloween 2 because it's like a lean 86 minutes. It's doing something a little bit different with PTSD. Uh, it, it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's a swing and a miss in some ways. But what they try to do was different and interesting. And then the ending was so ballsy and you know that they, you know, they're going to underwrite it and, and, and retcon it out of there in the next one. But in the theater in 1998, we gasped and we were like, Holy shit. She cut his head yeah. off. That's amazing. Yeah. It just had a real energy to it. That's exactly what you would hope for when it's like, we're coming back, we're bringing her, we talked her back into the doing this movie. And now like you get to see the, the story yeah, close. Sure. So I hope they actually do that this yeah, time. I got to – in 2010, I made a documentary on the Halloween franchise for A&E and we got to interview Jamie Lee. And she was so pissed off that they undid that ending. Really? Like she said it was in her contract originally that she had to kill Michael Myers. And uh, you know she was, she was cranky about it. So I, could, I totally get why she is on board with this new one that wipes everything but the first film. Uh, and you know she, she was so unsatisfied with the idea that, that they were going to undo the death even though she showed up and did resurrection. But, you know, I think that was a contractual thing. Yeah. And she's also there for like probably yeah. like a day and a half, you know, to shoot yep. that. Uh, I, I can honestly say I can't, I probably can't rank, rank them after H2O. I four five and six run together in my head. I think maybe four had some better cinematography. If I remember correctly, we, we did four for the show and it is not a very good movie. The, the only, the only things that are uh, fun about it is the Loomis performance. Cause it's like really, really, really like he's always big, but this one is like cartoonishly right. large. And, uh, uh, Danielle Harris debut film. He was like a vaudeville. Yes. Guy. Yes. <laughs> he was crazy. Yeah. Big. He's, he's like, I'm playing for the check cash in place down the street. And everyone in between is going to hear every syllable I have to yeah. say. I remember him screaming at the end when Daniel Harris is holding the knife. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just like really, really over the top. You mentioned the Rob Zombie ones earlier. And I think we talked about this a little bit, but do, do, are you all, are you not a fan of those? It doesn't sound like you're huge into them. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, no. For but, all the reasons Andrew was saying, the, 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 uh, just the, the world building and the backstory, uh, none of it none of it worked for me. And I know some people say Halloween two was better because it was its own thing, but but Halloween two was also uh, just a dour, miserable. You know, the, ha- Halloween is uh, the film. So in in and in saying the film, I say so in my mind, it should mean the franchise is supposed to be fun. Then there's people dying, and it's and it's a slasher movie and and whatnot, but it's still. Uh, energizing and there's nothing energizing to me about either of zombies films. They're dour, they're depressing, they're uh, ugly. And uh, it's not, it's not what I go to a horror film for like relentless horror that like rattles me is the first chainsaw and I respect what it does, but I have that one already. So I don't know how many more of that I need. And, and zombies movies were on that track. And I agree with that. Hard to digest as Halloween movies for me. 
Yeah, I think that's 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 a really good point. Yeah, I, I I'm not a big fan of his period. I know he has many fans, and that's cool. You know, everybody's got their different thing, but I I just yeah, don't. everything in his movie like it looks it looks humid and it looks it looks gross smelling. Like the movies, you look at them and you can feel that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that has its place to me, but Haddonfield is not that place. I, I actually enjoyed Lords of Salem quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It was it, it was a, a neat looking movie. It's it's doing its own thing. It's 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 got uh, a lot of cinematic DNA of other films in there, but it's not stomping on something, and it's not trying to reinvent something. It's sort of just uh, it's a synthesis of influences that is its own thing, and uh, I respect it a lot. Uh, Lords of Salem is. Hmm. Um, like maybe my favorite film of his. Oh, okay. I was actually really intrigued, like growing up outside Philadelphia. I love hockey. I'm a Flyers fan. He was talking for like a couple years, really enthusiastically of like, I wrote this Broad Street Bullies script and it's about like the Flyers and the Bruins and seventies hockey. And I was dying to see what he was going to do with something like that, just because it was so wildly to me outside of his wheelhouse, even though like that era of hockey is, you know, tough and bloody and fight filled and whatever. But I was like, so intrigued. And do you think his wife would play? <laughs> I guess one of the players wives, probably. What was it? The bullies of broad street or something? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he was going to call it. And he, and eventually just, he's like, I couldn't get there's like 6,500 competing parties with likeness rights and naming rights and this and that and the other yeah. thing that killed it. But I was like really excited to see that. Cause I just thought it was a weird choice for him. Yeah. I'm always more interested when a, when a filmmaker who's either known for horror wants to do something else that's not horror or when a non-horror filmmaker decides to try horror ra- rather than a, somebody kind of running in place, it's always interesting to see somebody make a lateral move into another space and, and see what comes out of it. It's just always a more, it's just more surprising and it's a little less predictable. Yeah. Horror feels like the genre that sort of is like, I don't know how, to, how best to explain it. It sort of feels like the stepchild of the family. It's like, so like movie studios will be like, oh, this one horror movie didn't do well. So no one goes to see right. horror movies. And it's, and, and there's no other genre that does that. But then it's like a director be like, I want to try out horror. And you're like, okay, well, I don't, you wouldn't be like, I'm going to try out historical drama. Like no one decide, no, no one arbitrarily does that. It's so hard to me always feels like it's this like, whatever it's, it, no one really knows and cares about it except for the people who do. And the people who do are so passionate about it. Yeah. And I also feel like there's a greater opportunity to hit like the proverbial home run where it's like, like, I think a lot of people are like Jordan Peele's doing a horror movie and then get out, blew everybody's hair back or most people. So it's like, yeah, because he had zero expectations to play with. So there was no box that you had put it in. Mentally right. The risk reward is, is uh, something that is a factor. And then um, I think that horror is just people are, you know, the guy like and Romero and Carpenter have known it for years that horror is like ripe for, uh, you know, smuggling in a message and subtext and whatnot. But I think that like we have short term memories in Hollywood and people are kind of now rediscovering that and success begets success. So when you get something like Get Out, which is a smart movie with something to say, but it's also really entertaining, and really fun, really scary. Suddenly the doors are opening for that. And even guys who aren't into horror like uh, i guess john krasinski was like i didn't even know horror could be good or whatever whatever horrible questionable quote he had recently 
Yeah, I, yeah, it was so silly, but yes, you're up, exactly but, right. You know, it, so if Get Out opens a talented filmmaker's eyes to the possibility of horror, even if that guy's never done horror before, that's not something to like get cranky about. That's great. That's such good news for horror. Like that new blood is coming in, and people want to play in that sandbox. Oh, no, I'm not cranky. I I love the horror horror genre. I just think it's interesting, like the way it the way it feels. People people treat it is like a hat to try on. I think it's just interesting that like no other genre is like that. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. It's always nice to like, there's always room on the bandwagon to me in, in terms of this stuff where it's like, you know, uh, join, it's great. You know, you'll this, you can like it too. It's cool up here. Like, uh, you know, shutting people out and gatekeeper stuff, I always find really odd. So I'm not sure what's going on with him, but rather than make you sit here, I'll just ask you the the last question I was going to ask you. And he and I have talked about this question kind of uh, ad nauseum uh, on previous episodes. So are there a handful of movies that you pull out every year around Halloween? You're, you're like uh, Mount Rushmore and you don't have to pick four necessarily, but like your Mount Rushmore ones, the titles are like, this is the movies that get me into feeling the Halloween season. And here's what I yeah, like Yeah, I think I used to do that. I think I used to watch, you know, Halloween or, or you know, your typical uh the standard answers, maybe like Christine or something like that. But lately, lately, I I want to use Halloween as an excuse to to back clean up on some stuff that I've not haven't seen. Do you know what I mean? You know what's what, what's a movie that I yeah. haven't gotten around to yet? And here's going to be a good night to watch it. We're going to you know make popcorn and, and and eat Halloween candy and check it out. So we've been doing that lately, and I I'm stumped at the moment to think of what it was, but. Uh, you know, I've got a pile of Blu-rays that I, I go to these horror shows and I come home with a stack of Blu-rays and the, then the next horror show, I come home with another stack of Blu-rays and the last stack is still in the shrink wrap. So there's lots and lots to catch up on. And then, and you know, that's the, it's the curse of the horror fan is you're never going to see everything, but every, every, every Halloween now, the marathon is about seeing what I haven't seen yet. That's interesting. I actually do the same thing every year. I make a list and it's always 30 and I never, <laughs> ever get all the way through it without getting distracted. But it's always 31 or 31 actually for, you know, one a day. And then I try to like fill it in. And I also have like some weird gaps in, um, you know, just personal viewing history of like, you know, some major periods in horror. And I always try to like, you know, snag a few. This year I'm trying to hit three from every decade. That's my big list is like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70s, all the way up trying to fill in some yeah. gaps. Do you have uh, anything anything you'd recommend for somebody who's looking for something great? Anything sure. uh, that's like really caught your eye lately well, that you'd want well, to shout out? The stuff that out? I evangelize, and and by the way, Andrew's on this line, but he can't hear you right now, um, so I'm still talking. Okay. Um, I I think uh, we're in this golden age of things being restored and rediscovered, and uh, and and made newly widely available. I'm still pissed off that Dawn of the Dead is out of print and I'm pissed off that Martin is out of print, but there's stuff happening at Shout Factory and, and, and Arrow where they're, they're rediscovering and restoring some really cool titles. And uh, for like horror fans younger than me, I would recommend, I would say double feature the 1940s cat people with the 1983 cat people or 82, the one that Paul Schrader made. That's, that's okay. a really cool way to sort of experience two different eras in horror and two different approaches in horror. Um, I think that uh, for anybody that's not gotten around to Cronenberg's early stuff, it used to be really hard to find and now it's not. So Shivers and Rabbit and The Brood are all movies that you have no excuse to have not watched yet. Um, those are bona fide classics and they're <laughs> like, they've been restored and they look great and you should, you know, run out and watch them. Uh, uh, and I would awesome. Plug, you awesome. Know, I'm not being paid to do this or anything, but like a shutter subscription is five bucks a month and They've got so much essential stuff on there that you could you could probably do three Halloween marathons and not not make a dent in what they've got. 
they've got some oh. really great stuff and really oh, some rarity, sure. some new stuff, but some essentials if you haven't gotten to any. Yeah, I, I usually kick that on every year around Halloween time to to watch some stuff. Uh, always always recommend the, that that five dollars at least a couple times a year to to add to your Absolutely. streaming pile. I said last question before, but I have I have one more, and then I will let you talk about some cool stuff going on with Fangoria as much okay. as you would like. Andrew and I have modified the game Mary F Kill, which you're probably <laughs> familiar with. We we say uh, watch watch once, watch forever. And watch never again. If you had to put the big three '80s slasher franchises—the Halloween, the Nightmare on Elm Street, and the uh, the Friday Thirteenth—what would you do? Marry, f, kill? Whereas, like, you can revisit these movies as much as you want. You can do one more time, or you can wow. never look at them again. That's hard. Yeah. And you're yeah, talking exactly. the whole franchise. Whole <laughs> franchise. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you. If it would make more sense for you to do it, just, uh, you know, just one, the, the, the lead, your favorite of each one, you could do that. But uh, basically, you know, I, we usually treat it yeah. as the whole franchise, but whatever you feel well, more comfortable it, it answering be different is fine answers by me. Because I think the Halloween franchise is so diluted that I might put that in the watch once more category. Although it, it's tied with Elm Street because I think most of the Elm Street sequels aren't great. Um, so that, so gosh. Yeah, but Friday Thirteenth is just so rewatchable, and and the sequels are all almost all of them so rewatchable. The first six, at least. So I'm surprising myself, but I might say the Keep Watch Forever franchise would be Friday the Thirteenth. The Watch One More might be Halloween because I've only really got love in my heart for the first one, and then the Watch Never Again might be Home Street. Yeah, that's that's a good pick. Friday the Thirteenth, I feel, is underrated in terms of rewatchability because they're all they're all the same. None of them are great, but they're also a lot of fun through that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's a level of quality that it never really wavers too far from. Yeah, you know what you're getting. Yeah, I got to think about that a little more, but that's the off the cuff one. No, no, I appreciate it. That's that's great. That's great. Uh, f- feel free to steal that question for sure, future sure. use. You know, you know, it's it's a fun one to, to throw out there. So we've we've asked you a million questions. Please uh, let uh, us and our listeners know about all the cool stuff happening in Fangoria. I imagine there's some really exciting things happening. Given that I don't know, maybe the biggest horror movie of all time is a yeah. And we're in a weird month. spot because we're recording this before the magazine's out. But uh, by the time this is out, the magazine should be on the shelves. Or in your mailbox if you subscribed at Fangoria.com. It's cheaper to subscribe. Just a heads up. Uh, if you subscribe, you save about five bucks an issue. Um, it's a quarterly. It's a it's a hundred pages. We couldn't get the first issue into a hundred pages, so the first issue is one hundred and sixteen pages. And uh, there's I think six ads in the whole magazine. Uh, so it's wow. Yeah, we're we're going for it. It's a lot of quality content. We've got a lot of great writers. I'm excited about. We are of course covering the new Halloween. So there's there's coverage of the new Halloween in there, ample coverage. But there's also fun ancillary stuff. Like we've got uh, a writer named Jacob Knight digging into the sort of all the things that Halloween inspired in in film in terms of like the, the ripoffs and the copycats and whatnot. And we've got uh, uh, other writers talking about the Halloween franchise's sort of twists and turns and the way that they sort of keep abandoning their continuity. And we've got... Um, uh, lots of I don't know lots of other stuff in there that I I kind of don't even want to tell you because if if you don't know yet even once you get it when you get to the page where it's at it's going to blow your mind. There's some stuff in there that we've discovered that has never been reported on about some of your favorite franchises. Okay. There's original artwork in there by a guy named Gary Poland who's going to blow your mind. Um, 
there's some short fiction by a, an author that I'm sure you've heard of, but I'm not allowed to say who he is even right now. But Okay, all right. Uh, yeah, I think there's. we try to get something for everybody in there. And of course, uh, our publisher is a company called Cinestate, and Cinestate produces films. They produced uh, Bone Tomahawk and Brawl and Cell Block 99, and now we're going to be producing movies under the Fangoria banner. The first one is Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, and so there's going to be an effect. Oh, that looks really good. It's it's a it's a fun ride. Uh, it's one of the easily. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of movies this year. It's it is the goriest movie I've seen this year. It is okay. That's what I've heard. I've been. I, I mean, based on that red band trailer alone. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's dark. It's gnarly. Do not show it to a pregnant woman. <laughs> it's, it'll be on VOD by the time this is out. And um, that's the first one. The next movie we're doing is called Satanic Panic, which is a horror comedy. About a pizza delivery girl who comes a, comes across a cult of Satan worshippers who are looking for a virgin sacrifice, and she's it. And uh, and then we're going to be remaking Castle Freak, which is a an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation oh, wow. from back in the day. Um, so long way of saying whatever we're producing is probably going to show up in the magazine as well. So in the first issue, we've got a, a feature on some of the gore effects of uh, uh, Puppet Master: The Littlest Reich. So right on. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. I'm proud. Awesome. We've never jumped yeah, into the, the Puppet Master, but I am absolutely impressed by their ability to continue making movies in that franchise over the many decades that they've done. Just like with Phantasm, where I'm like, man, this is mind-blowing that someone's been able to keep this together for this long. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there's over a dozen Puppet Master movies, but this one is a quote-unquote reboot, so it is it is uh, unencumbered by the continuity of the existing franchise. So you can go in cold and just watch this one and you'll be fine. Okay. Well, that's good to know for, for anybody out there who wants to check it out. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. People want to find more of you. I'm on Twitter under, under Phil Nobile Jr. If you were interested in subscribing or learning more about the magazine, just go to Fangoria.com. Great. Well, uh, this has been a very special episode of Dissecting the 80s because we couldn't help but celebrate the return of Laurie Strode. Andrew is still having voice call issues, so he's probably not going to get to join in on this outro. But I have been Trip Lano, and uh, if you want to say your name, sir. I'm Phil Nobile Jr., uh, and speaking for Andrew. I am Andrew Lano. Oh, wait, there he is. There he is. <laughs> it's been lovely. It's been great, Andrew. Well, thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful having you on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. And until October 22nd. Don't you forget about me. Michael! Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.